Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. That's all, folks. Did he? Did he? Did he? That's all, folks. I love that with the commercial and Porky Pig at the end of the cartoons. That's it for the 2021 Major League Baseball season. Can you imagine? Spring training was like yesterday, and just like that, the season is over. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. I don't mind saying world. People get upset. It's not a world series. It's just the U.S. Why don't you call it the U.S. series? You're not playing any national teams from anywhere else. I, it's the World Series. It's what it's called. It doesn't mean you've beaten Japan or Cuba. It just means that you're the best in Major League Baseball. Are you aware that the National League East is the most successful division in all of baseball? The division that we make fun of as being the National League least in 2021. The division that was so bad this year that the Atlanta Braves could lose their entire outfield to injury and domestic abuse and, and replace it with journeymen, non-tender guys, castaways, the likes of which who would make Tom Hanks proud in Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall, who cares, whatever the names are, Jorge Soler, Rosario, doesn't matter, brings them in, and they thrived. And they won the World Series. So the National League East, the Marlins won in 03. You know that. The Phillies won in 08. The Nationals won in 2019, and the Braves won in 2021. That's four World Series rings in the 21st century. And the New York Metropolitans made it to the World Series and lost to the Royals in 2015. That makes the National League East the most successful division in the 21st century. Pretty cool to be a part of that. So much went on during yesterday's Game 6. I hope you watched it because it's the last baseball you're going to get until February 26th, which is my birthday. That is when spring training begins, I hope. Hopefully we'll have a collective bargain agreement by then, but we'll have plenty to talk about during the offseason. A lot of free agency to talk about, as always. A lot of business going on. But I want to talk about a few things on the field that fascinated me because I spent the entire game last night in the studios in Stanford, Connecticut, in the CBS HQ studios, right across from the Yes Network is where we are, so we're competing for internet network data space and who yells louder with our big light that says on the air. And I'm thinking to myself, going into a road game six up three to two seems so familiar. And I loved that about our what we did in 2003 when we went to Yankee Stadium up three two. We pitched Josh Beckett on short rest and won the World Series. And then what happened after? And I was thinking all about the night that we spent in New York before flying home. I thought about getting on the plane and having a little marker at every seat of our charter the next morning, which would have been October 26th of 03, that had Florida Marlins world champions 
on every seat. I thought about the fire trucks when we landed that were spritzing water in the air. I thought about the crowds that greeted us when we got to the FBO at the airport in Fort Lauderdale. The, the huge number of people who were applauding the team, walking down the stairs of the plane. I was thinking about the parade and then the designing of the ring and then figuring out the banner, unveiling the banner, unveiling the ring, making the ring rules, sizing players and staff for their ring size. The feeling that you get when you win a World Series, it doesn't go away. Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves, an organizational guy, had been a minor league coach, finally got a chance to manage five years ago as an interim and then got the job full-time. He said in his post-game speech to his players, right before they sprayed champagne all over him, he said, gentlemen, for the rest of your lives, you are world champions. And I had shivers. I, the expression is down your spine. I don't know what that means. I don't get shivers down my spine. I get a shiver down my front, like down my torso and a little bit down my arms to the end of my fingers. And I don't mean the shiver of when you're scared. I mean the shiver of when you are in sync with something so much that you can't believe to have that level of sync or level of shared experience with what someone says or what someone does. So when I heard Snicker say that, I was able to have 18 years of knowledge that he's right. Because during the World Series, whether I was texting with Mike Lowell or texting with Jeff Conine or thinking about any of the players from our team, forever you're together. You're bonded together. This Braves team with these trade deadline acquisitions who only played with the team for a few months, they are bonded together forever. No matter what happens the rest of their careers, they are a part of something that is extraordinary. And you feel like it's so easy. Everyone wins a World Series. That's just not true. The number of players who leave the game, the number of executives who leave the game, the number of owners who leave the game without a World Series ring is way greater than the number of owners, executives, presidents, and players who leave the game with the World Series ring. And you wonder why everyone's so proud of it. That's the reason. But to win a ring, everything has to go right. And it doesn't mean that everything has to go right during the regular season. It means that enough has to go right during the regular season to get to the postseason, and then in the postseason, everything has to go right. Now, that doesn't mean that every starting pitcher has a good start and every hitter has a good October, because definitionally, that is impossible. But what it does mean is that more has to go right for you than the other team. And the Braves had that. The Braves had a hot bullpen. The Braves got enough starting pitching even with a starting pitcher, Charlie Morton, who broke his leg in game one of the World Series, even with their number two starter, who really their number one starter, but their game two starter, Max Freed, having a terrible game two. But last night in game six, we learned that Freed wasn't fried, and he gave you six unbelievable shutout innings, looking like Josh Beckett. No, not Josh Beckett. He had short rest. Looking like a great starting pitcher from World Series past, mixing breaking balls and fastballs, getting swings and misses. But then out walks Brian Snitker. Hold on, cut that, Coca. That's not what happened. 14, 28, 69. 
And then after the fifth inning, they show Freed getting hugs in the dugout. Snitker, the manager, goes up and says, you're done, kid. We're going to hand it over to our pen. He had 74 pitches. He had a touchdown lead. And all I kept thinking about, maybe it was 6 nothing at that time, all I kept thinking about is Blake Snell from last year's World Series, which you may remember when the Tampa Bay Rays were winning a game six. Snell was pitching out of his mind. They took him out, and the great Tampa Bay bullpen blew it. But analytics say when you've got a bullpen that is a shutdown bullpen, you let them do their job. And the Atlanta Braves bullpen, with players who 98% of you have never heard of, from A.J. Minter to Tyler Matzik to Luke Jackson to Will Smith, who? No, not that guy, not the actor. They have been untouchable. So you give him a shot. And last night it worked. Max Fried goes six. I said he went five, he went six. That whole story starts with Brian Snitker going up to Max Fried after the sixth inning with only 74 pitches when I thought he could have pitched a complete game or at least gotten them even deeper into the game. But it all worked. So then he gets to the ninth inning where it's over. You know it's just a matter of who's going to be the MVP, but you think it's going to be Jorge Soler, another trade deadline acquisition, another non-tender, which is a player who people didn't want to pay what he would have earned had he stayed in the arbitration system. Like Kyle Schwarber of the Red Sox. Remember him who had the great postseason for the Red Sox, which seems like a year ago when the Red Sox lost to the Astros after we said the Red Sox are going to crush the Astros because the Astros have no pitching. And then it turned out the Astros just clubbed the Red Sox into submission. So Jorge Soler is becoming the MVP and they're focusing on him and they're starting to tell stories on the broadcast about history and what it means for the Braves to win. And there's only three outs to go. I never had that luxury in our game six because we were only up 2 nothing, And so anytime a runner would get on base, you are one swing away from it being tied. But if you're up a touchdown, you really do have quite a bit of margin for error with only three outs to go. An eight-run inning is not impossible. You know I've been a part of that in the eighth inning of Game 6 of the League Championship Series at Wrigley, an eight-run eighth. So an eight-run ninth could happen, but Fox and CBS and the Braves and the clubhouse, everyone's ready for a championship. So the ninth inning is coming. It's the bottom of the ninth in Houston. In the clubhouse, they are setting up the plastic. They are getting the goggles ready. They have the champagne out in the middle of the clubhouse. They've cleared away all the personal effects. The clubbies put all of their clothes and all of the uh, anything the players bring with them, they put into a duffel. They put the duffels in a separate area. Then they put plastic over the locker where the clothes are hung. So the floor is wide open. Then they have vats of beer and champagne. There's different types of champagne. The cheap champagne is for pouring. The expensive champagne is for drinking. Then they've got a pallet of unopened champagne where you give a bottle to each player unopened that they can have. So all of this is happening and getting ready. One out, two to go. The president of the team, the chairman, Terry McGurk, is counting the outs, trying to figure out what he's going to say when interviewed by Rob Manford, when handed the trophy. The manager doesn't allow himself to think that this could be happening to him. He takes one moment with two outs in the bottom of the ninth to look over to the Astros dugout 
and spot his son, who's the assistant hitting coach for what will be the losing team in the World Series? As a father, you say to yourself, I want this for my son. Could Snicker have been rooting for the Astros? No. Could Snicker's wife have been rooting for her son? Maybe. But Brian, the dad, the manager of the Braves, took a minute, two outs. He looks out, tries to take it all in, one out to go. The pitch comes in. Every outfielder and every infielder has in their mind what they're going to do if the ball comes to them, as they do before every single at-bat from the first spring training game to the last out of the season. You visualize, if I get the ball, here's the situation. There's a runner on first. I'm going to second. We're only up a run. There's a runner on second. I'm throwing to the cutoff man. I'm throwing home. Whatever the case is, whatever the situation, you plan it, you think about it. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, you're about to clinch a World Series. You're thinking about having that ball. What am I going to do with that ball? Don't throw it into the stands. Keep it. Ground ball to Dansby Swanson. Shortstop, former number one pick in the country. Not many number one picks in the country. Check this out, Coca. Not many number one overall picks in the first round have World Series rings. You'd be shocked at how few. Dansby Swanson gets the ground ball. There's a man on first. He looks over to second base where Ozzie Albies is waiting for the throw. He looks, and then he says, no, I'm going to throw to Freddie Freeman, and I'm going to make sure that Freddie Freeman gets the final put out because Freddie Freeman has been here through the rebuild. He's the captain of our team, the heart, the soul of our team. I want him to have the ball. Dansby looks at Freddie Freeman, throws a perfect strike. Freddie catches the ball, raises his arms, and runs toward the pitching mound in a level of elation that he will not soon forget but will have a very hard time remembering. He looks at the ball, puts it in his pocket, secretes it away, and starts the amazing celebration. Every single year that there is a World Series champion crowned, I go through the same exercise. I think about the last out when Beckett tagged Posada. I think about where I was in the stadium, who I hugged first, then how I made it onto the field and then down into the clubhouse and then back up to the field. I remember celebrating with many people, but not all. Over the years, people come up to you and show you photos that you took with them on the field at Yankee Stadium or inside the clubhouse that you have no recollection of. You've made a memory for millions of people when your organization wins a World Series. You've made memories for yourself, for your family. It's incredibly special. It's emotional. It's personal. And it's also great business. So the business part of winning the World Series comes really fast. I was saddened by that, I recall, in 2003 when I missed the Fort Lauderdale parade. We did a parade in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale. I missed the Fort Lauderdale parade to do a stadium negotiating session, thinking how silly it was that I would miss a parade for that. Knowing that the next day I was in the office after we flew back on the 26th, on the 27th I was back in the office dealing with the logistics of the parade, finalizing everything, dealing with the new stadium, trying to get funding, dealing with the fact that we had free agents like Pudge Rodriguez, were we gonna offer him anything? All those things are in my mind. And I'm thinking about what the Braves have in front of them. They've got Freddie Freeman as a free agent. 
their entire outfield are f- full of free agents, and they had a president of baseball operations, a president of baseball operations, who I couldn't find yesterday. And I'm looking around, and I, I, I want to hear him interviewed, to hear him talk about where he started in the Montreal Expos front office as an intern in 2000. I wanted to hear him talk about his accomplishment and the accomplishment of his people. And he was nowhere to be found. And I thought it was very strange. Was he so not interested in being a part of the celebration to give that moment to the players in a way that I've never seen a GM do or a president or a manager? You want to share in that moment. And then word came out that Alex Anthopoulos wasn't even in Houston. He tested positive for COVID and could not make the trip. And my heart sank to my ankles. First, making sure that he was going to be okay and healthy, and I hope he is. But secondly, recognizing the reality that he missed a moment that you can't recreate. You can never get it back. They can bring some champagne and pair of goggles and have a celebration. He could have celebrated with his family watching the game on TV. But the feeling you get when you have been with people you work with every day since February, and it culminates in something that everybody wants but so few people ever get to attain. When he can look in the eyes of Dansby Swanson and say, you are the fifth number one pick to ever win a World Series, that's it. When you can look at Freddie Freeman and say, you brought a world championship the year Hank Aaron died. You think that a higher being doesn't get involved? I wonder about that sometimes. When there's a Boston Marathon bombing, and then later that year the Red Sox happen to win the World Series in 2013. When Henry Aaron passes away in January and the Atlanta Braves win the World Series only 10 months later. Sometimes life is so full of finesse, isn't it? So Alex Anthopoulos is celebrating privately. The Braves are celebrating publicly. Meanwhile, how much money do you give Freddie Freeman? Do you get rid of Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall and Jock Tober Peterson and Rosario? What do the Astros do as Dusty Baker takes the podium and says, I'm not as disappointed as I was in 02 when we blew the lead to the Giants? He was the manager that time. Of the, of the Giants when he blew the lead to the Angels, when the Anaheim Angels or Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever they were called. He said, I was much more sad then, but we made progress. Last year, we lost in the LCS. This year, we made it to two games short of winning the World Series. He wants to come back and win it. He told us how much he loves his guys, loves them so much that he was angry with himself for leaving in the starting pitcher, Luis Garcia, one batter too long, giving up that three-run homer to Jorge Soler, which clinched the MVP for him. Leaving in Christian Javier, one batter too long, giving up a home run to that same Dansby Swanson. Getting angry with himself. But when you don't score any runs, there's nothing to be angry about. One run would have won that game because your offense disappeared. Your LCS MVP, Jordan Alvarez, went two for 20 in the World Series. There were myriad reasons why the Astros lost this World Series, none of which has to do with the fact that they didn't steal signs, so therefore they weren't good enough to win. 
all of which have to do with the randomness of a seven-game series, which is why it is so difficult to win a World Series and why nobody has repeated in 21 years. Because recapturing the magic is virtually impossible, given the level playing field. And I don't mean the level playing field of payrolls. I actually mean the level playing field of intelligence. 30 teams are generally operating with the same intellectual capacity. So now we head into the offseason. We're going to get to cover a lot of things. We're going to talk about Freddie Freeman and what we think should happen with him in free agency. We'll spend time talking about Carlos Correa, what he's worth, what the other shortstops are worth. We're going to do all of that. But as we put a bow on this 2021 season, I want to do something that is very befitting of a former team president. All right, that's done. What's next? Martin Sheen would be proud from the West Wing president, Josiah Bartlett. What's next? Give me five things. Give me a top five things. All right, Levitard. No, it's not Levitard. It's just me. What are the top five offseason things to watch? Number five. It's year two of Steve Cohn. What should we expect? Well, Steve Cohn's had a hard time even hiring someone to run his baseball operations department. Every day you read he's asking permission to speak to someone else. Now he's asking permission of someone with the Orioles. Then it's the Red Sox. He's basically looking for any assistant general manager who has any sort of analytics experience, anyone who's smart enough to maybe work at a venture capital fund because maybe they'll double dip and work at point seventy-two as well. Figure out whether or not to re-sign Baez, who, by the way, is not worth it, period, no matter what is offered to Baez. If they give him anything north of $100 million, it's a joke. But Steve Cohn has to win a World Series in the next three to five years, so he's got to do something because he's got pitching needs, he's got offensive needs, he's got intellectual needs in the front office. What is he going to do? That's number five. Number four, do the Dodgers sign Max Scherzer and run it back? Uh -uh. (laughs) If they'd won the World Series, I would say they'd sign Max Scherzer. They're probably going to say they have to sign Max Scherzer because they have Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. And by the way, Trevor Bauer will not be a Dodger next year. So you're looking at Bueller and Urias, who are their two starting pitchers. Maybe Gonsolin becomes a starting pitcher. Forget all that. You need to have someone like Scherzer. But Scherzer's on the wrong side of 30-something. He is Ken Olin and Mel Harris and Patricia Wedig all combined into one person. And when you're on the wrong side of 30-something, All you do is hope for Timothy Busfield. So I'm not giving Scherzer too many years, maybe two years, maybe a Trevor Bauer-like deal. But what will the Dodgers do because they're angry? Number three, are the Yankees satisfied with continued mediocrity and lack of winning a World Series, and will they manifest that satisfaction with just signing another bat like the shortstops that they are thinking of signing, that they're rumored to be signing, that is a huge off-season thing to watch because how many times do I have to sit here and tell you, please do not sign another bat, get pitching. Don't give me this one-year stuff trying to get a reclaim like a Kluber, an Italian. You need someone better with a track record, better scouting, better GMing, 
Do your job if you're going to keep it, Cashman, and find some pitching. Garrett Cole is not enough. You've learned it. Number two of the offseason things to watch. Where will the shortstips... <laughs> Stop that. 5869. Number two on the offseason top five list. Where will the shortstops land? You've got Marcus Simeon. You've got Carlos Correa. You've got Pete Seeger. You've got Trevor Story. You've got Javier Baez. You do not have it. I just replayed that. Corey Seeger. Do you know why Pete Seeger was in my mind? This land is your land. This man land is my land. Where will the shortstops land? I think that's Pete Seeger. Where will they land? Correa to the Yankees? Not Trevor Story? What about Seeger? He'd be great as a lefty with the front porch, the right field porch. That's the big story. Will any of them approach Lindor? They better not. None of them are worth over $300 million. Neither was Lindor. Neither was Tatis. And that's not me being an owner, hardline team president. That's me saying to you, it doesn't make sense. Take a look at the teams who are winning. You had Adam Duvall, Rosario, Soler, and Peterson in your outfield. You had Albies, Swanson, and Austin Riley in your infield with Travis Darno catching. Where are the superstars? Freddie Freeman? Yeah. But it's so hard when you're a president. Oh, God, let's get him. He's such a good name. Let's win the offseason. Do you remember who won the offseason? Do you remember the wait to see that we had? That the team that won the offseason, the San Diego Padres, they won the offseason. They signed and traded for Snell and Darvish. They got Tatis. Oh, my God, they're going to be amazing. Nope. Don't try to win the offseason. But that's not even the top story of the offseason. And in the top five offseason things to watch, number one, the first day of the 12th month of the 21st year of the 21st century. December 1st. Wait a minute. I think centuries start in 01, don't they? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. The 21st year of the 21st century, the first day of the 12th month is December 1st because that is the day that the collective bargaining agreement ends. The number one storyline of this offseason is the players' union and the commissioner and the owners and whether or not and when they will get an agreement and how much content they will provide, nothing personal in the interim. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Tony Clark and Rob Manford in advance for giving some great statements, some great leaks, some great rumors, so that I can continue to do with Coca 45 minutes of outstanding content. Well, that's sort of self-aggrandizing, isn't it? So we can do 45 minutes of a show five days a week, and you can decide whether or not it's outstanding. But judging by the numbers and the fact that you talk to your friends about it, I'd say we're doing pretty well. But that is the story of the offseason. How does that end? It's a big wait to see. We're going to follow those five storylines and many more. It has been one hell of a season. Memorable in so many ways. The Atlanta Braves, congratulations. You are the world champions. We'll be right back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet of commercials. My name is David Sampson. Today is November 3rd. Today is an anniversary for me, actually. 25 years ago today, I ran my first ever marathon. It was November 3rd, 1996. I was so scared. I got hypothermia during the race. I didn't know it. I just knew that I kept being hot and cold. And then the race end, ended, ran it in four hours and 35 minutes, having never run a marathon before, having only eight months earlier not been able to even run a mile without doubling over in pain and dry heaving. Finished the marathon, got into bed, and started shaking for multiple hours. Little did I know at that moment that that would be the beginning of my endurance journey that will culminate, not end, but culminate this Sunday, November 7th with my 25th marathon. On the 25-year anniversary of my first marathon, I'll run my 25th marathon, my sixth New York marathon. It's going to be cold. And I'm a Floridian for so many years, I'm a little nervous about that. I think I'm going to have to wear a hat and pants. But I'm excited. All right. Every day we watch a movie. You know that, right? And Coca has been telling me to watch this movie forever. And I've just never taken the time to watch it because there's always something on I want to watch. There's always a series I want to finish. There's always something going on. Wouldn't you know it, Coca finally said to me, you know what, David, it's enough. Watch Dazed and Confused already. And I said, I'm just going to do it. So the way my workday goes is that I have a bunch of radio hits or things on CBS Sports HQ or whether it's a Levitard show or we're taping a Samson sit-down or an episode of Nothing Personal. That is the, my mouth is going and my throat hurts and I'm coughing up phlegm and blowing my nose part of the day. Then there's the preparation for the show part of the day, and preparation of the show consists of two things. One, watching a movie, and then two, being all over the internet and looking for stories that interest me, that I think will interest you, that I think will interest Coca. Then writing a document out that has a rundown of what those topics are, then speaking to Coca and having him tell me what his thoughts are, then going to sleep, waking up early in the morning, looking at the topics again, seeing what needs to be added or taken out, and then do it again. It's Groundhog Day every day. 
So after yesterday's show, I watched Dazed and Confused. I said, this is it. I'm doing it. So I went to Amazon. I rented it. Spent $3.99. And I sat there on my iPad because I'm, I'm in Stamford, Connecticut for now. This is it. I'm leaving Stamford. World Series is over. That's it. Time to leave. Time to get rid. If you're watching this on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. It looks like I'm in a prison cell. That's what everyone keeps saying. Like, hey, is this your one phone call? Hey, do they slip you food through the slot? I'm actually in a recording room for podcasts here at CBS Sports. But I didn't bring Wilson with me, which makes me sad. I didn't bring any background pictures. It's just me and my lovely mug that you get. But I have my iPad with me. So I turn on the iPad, rent the movie. And I start watching Days and Confused. Now, remember how I watch movies. The only thing I knew about it was that it was Matthew McConaughey and that it was where All Right, All Right, All Right came from, which I didn't know until yesterday. I thought it was a stoner movie and that was it. Like sort of half-baked. I couldn't have been more wrong and my first clue that I was wrong is when it said written and directed by Richard Linklater. Are you kidding me, Coca, that you never told me that? Richard Linklater, one of my all-time favorite screenwriters and directors. You know what? Before I even get to the review of Dazed and Confused, no, let me do the review first, and then I got to give you my top five Richard Linklater movies because I'm watching Dazed and Confused. They do the credits in the beginning. I can't even believe it. But the credits of Dazed and Confused do not go through a cast. They just went through writer, director, and then the movie starts. So I don't even know who's in it, except McConaughey. And all of a sudden, I see Jeremy London. Then I see Parker Posey. And then I see Ben Affleck. And then, out of nowhere, and I must admit, I paused the movie, and I called Coca. I said, are you kidding me? Rip from Yellowstone is in Dazed and Confused? Is that possible? And it's him. Cole Hauser, who plays Rip in Yellowstone, is in Dazed and Confused as a kid. Although I don't know that they're kids. My guess is they're supposed to be high schoolers because it takes place in high school. My guess is none of them were actually high schoolers. But it doesn't matter. There he is. And then the movie goes on and there's people getting stoned. There's no Matthew McConaughey. There's unbelievable music. I didn't know it took place in 1976. I then learn that one-sixth of the whole budget for the movie was to secure the rights to the music they played in the movie, which really did make the movie. The dialogue was outstanding. The storylines were really quite fascinating. They were not, they aged perfectly, and this movie's 30 years old. And they aged perfectly. And then I see McConaughey. And then I hear, all right, all right, all right. And I realize that if I didn't know McConaughey was famous, his performance in that movie was nothing. It would have even been memorable to me. He was sort of a creepy old guy. The one guy out of high school. I can give spoilers to this movie, right? The one guy out of high school hanging out with high school girls. That's a little creepy today, isn't it? All right, all right, all right. 
Overall, Days and Confused outperformed any expectation I had. And I thought it was going to be great because everyone told me how great it was. And it outperformed that. Thank you, Coca. And thank you to all of you who made me watch Days and Confused. If you haven't seen it, see it. Top five Richard Linklater movies. I got to do this. Because I don't think you realize the movies he's done. Number five, Everybody Wants Some. Have you seen that? I think we reviewed it on Nothing Personal. But I don't recall. That is about a bunch of college baseball players called Everybody Wants Some. Outstanding. Number four, Jack Black, School of Rock. You may not associate that with a Richard Linklater movie, but that's what it is. School of Rock, check it out. Number three, that's where I put Dazed and Confused. I could not put that as the number one Richard Linklater movie, not when you hear my top two, but it went right to number three. Number two, Before Sunrise with Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke. Now, Richard Linklater did three movies. There's like Before Sunrise, then Before Sunset, then After Midnight or Before Midnight. And it is the story of a couple of two strangers who meet on a train in Europe and the day they have and what happens before sunrise. It's such a beautiful movie. And now it is a a really a, there's three movies that are a part of it. But the best thing about it is the writing and the performances by Hawk and Delpy. And then you see them grow and their relationship grow during the two subsequent movies. Just incredible. But the number one Richard Linklater movie, Oscar award-winning Richard Linklater movie, a movie filmed over, what was it, Coca, 15 years. A movie called Boyhood. If you have not seen it, I'm begging you. I reviewed it on a previous Nothing Personal. He followed people and filmed once a year with a cast as these kids, a kid, a boy, grew up, brought back the same actors who agreed to be a part of this project once a year for 15 years. I think the filming was 15 years, maybe it was 10 years or 12 years or whatever it was. Patricia Arquette from True Romance, you may know her also as one of the wives of Nicolas Cage. I think they were married for a hot second. Such an incredible movie. Richard Linklater, thank you so much for your top five. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. I picked the Astros because I wanted the Braves to win in seven because I picked the Braves to win in seven when the series started. The Astros lost were 143 and 128. I would like to mention that uh, baseball's over, but the pick of the days aren't. You know we pick football, and we've won a few of those. We lost a few. We are 15 games over since the start of 2021. That's We start our count over every year. We have two months left of picks. We will not stop. We're going to focus NBA now. Have you paid attention to John Morant by chance? John Morant was picked uh, after Zion Williamson. Or was it before? Coco, who was drafted first? Was it Zion 1 and John Morant 2? And the Pelicans picked Zion first, and they could have picked John Morant. And the Memphis Grizzlies picked second, and they picked John Morant because he was left. Well, wouldn't you know that the New Orleans Pelicans, in my opinion, picked wrong? John Morant is leading the league in scoring. Turns out he's a better player than Zion Williamson. And people are going to say, David, you don't know what you're talking about. But I do. Zion Williamson has some major issues with his feet because he's got a lot of LBs on those feet. 
John Morant is a far more physical, gifted player. Now, Zion can jump. There's no question about it. He's incredible to watch when he plays. But if you're sleeping on Morant and the Grizzlies, then you're missing something. They're only giving one and a half to the Nuggets, and the Nuggets, even though they've got the reigning MVP, which is what gives them spread cred is what I call. Spread cred is what you get when you should be better than you are and the book thinks that you are better than you are, and the Nuggets just aren't. The Grizzlies are a better team. Giving one and a half to the Nuggets, we're taking the Grizzlies. That's the nothing personal pick of the day. So there was another piece of big news yesterday that came out during the World Series. And the news was that the Las Vegas Raiders had released Henry Ruggs III. And why is that noteworthy? I hope that you're paying attention out there. Henry Ruggs is a player for the Las Vegas Raiders who was involved in a deadly car accident. He didn't die. He was the one who was drunk. He has been charged with DUI causing death in Las Vegas when he rear-ended a car at, I assume, a high rate of speed, and the driver in the car that got hit died. Henry Ruggs is in grave danger of going to prison, as he should. I would very much like to understand, if you don't mind explaining to me, how people drink and drive when they are professional athletes, how people drink and drive when they are amateur athletes, how people drink and drive when they have a heartbeat. And the reason why I want to understand it is that there's something called Uber. You don't have to be rich to take an Uber. There's something called public transportation. There's something called phone a friend. Everyone's got a friend. I am so tired of having to have had stayed up late at night worrying about my players, worrying about my staff, worrying about myself, anybody. We would give out car services to people before Uber even started. Professional teams make it so easy for their players not to drink and drive, but time and again it happens. Is it hubris? I'm good. I only had a couple. Is it laziness? I can't be in an Uber. Takes too long. Takes too much time. Is it fame? I don't want to have to talk to a stranger or sign autographs. I just want to get in my own car. Is it the inability to make proper decisions because of the number of drinks? Or is it just bad luck? Are you willing to risk your career, your life, and your freedom above all on luck? What's the calculus in your head when you make a bad decision? And I've made my share of bad decisions in my life on and off the field. And when you're making those bad decisions, you do a calculation, right? That's the calculus. Likelihood of getting caught. Likelihood of a bad outcome. Likelihood of the outcome you want, likelihood of a neutral outcome, and is the good outcome and the neutral outcome that much greater in percentage than the bad outcome, thereby making it worth it because you're willing to settle for neutral at worst? Is the bad outcome so bad that even though it's a small percentage, it's such a bad outcome that it totally outweighs both the neutral and the good outcome? 
You're doing all this math, aren't you? My calculation is very, very simple. Because as you know, the only thing that I care about is freedom. Anything that can result in my loss of freedom, the ability to stand up out of this chair right now, walk out of this studio in Stanford and never come back. My ability to decide what I'm going to do to eat and when, who I'm going to talk to, where I'm going to lay my head at night. That level of freedom is so necessary to my existence that the calculation of action makes it so that no matter what I choose to do, if there's even a scintilla of a chance of loss of freedom, I'm not doing it. It is the ultimate juice is not worth the squeeze. Is it possible that Henry Ruggs didn't think that way? The Las Vegas Raiders didn't waste a second during the hoisting of the trophy. They released him. People have been asking me on Twitter, would you do that? Yeah. It's an immediate release. Would you do it knowing that there's a World Series game going on? Don't care. I'm not trying to take the headline away. I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm doing it, trying to dump the news, Friday news dump. Not any of that. I'm releasing him immediately because I'm not tolerating it. Remember, he had a guarantee. You got to think about the money, don't you? Five and three quarters million dollars of salary was guaranteed on his contract. Do you have to pay that when you release him? Under normal circumstances, yes. What about six million left of a signing bonus that hasn't been paid? Do you have to pay that? Under all circumstances, yes, because he earned that signing bonus the day he signed the contract. I've tried to fight signing bonuses a lot, but signing bonuses generally are ruled to have been accrued when you sign the contract. But future salary, eh. Henry has been terminated for cause. We did take away some signing bonus payments from players who lied to us upon their signing when they were hurt but said they weren't. We would change the signing bonus payments. But a player who signs a contract and get a signing bonus, you can't say if once they have a DUI or once they've done something to merit being released, whether it's they stink on the field or they did something off the field, they didn't know that was going to happen when they signed. So the Raiders will not be able to recoup their signing bonus, but they're going to get that $6 million back of salary that he's owed. They had no chance but to do it and do it quickly. And I am someone who talks about innocent till proven guilty all the time. You know that. But it's pretty clear that when you're driving in a car and you are impaired, whether it's the legal level or not, and you've killed somebody, I don't want you representing my team. Period. Hard stop. I didn't mean to end the show on that note. But that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. That's how timing goes. Sometimes things just happen. I appreciate you being here for the day. And remember, in just about every circumstance, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.